Good morning, church family. It is great to be with you all this morning. Let me just say about Leon, um, I have reached what I call, a, what, what I could describe as a paradigm shift in my life. Um, I used to go to the gym and think, I need to keep up with these 22 and 23-year-old guys who are stout, you know, and so that's the guys I've wanted to be up until about a year ago. And now when I go to the gym, I see like those 50 and 60-year-old guys that are still in decent shape, and I'm like, those are the guys that I want to be like. So I don't want to be young anymore. I want to be like a seasoned old stud, I guess you could say, right? So that's just, Leon, you're that guy, man. At 90 years old, you're looking good, brother, all right? Uh, turn, your, uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bible. I'm going to get to task now. That's enough silly business. I'm in Second uh, Peter chapter 3. And I'm really going to take the bulk of my sermon from the 13th verse in 2 Peter chapter 3. So uh, the title of my sermon this morning is New Heaven and New Earth. And Peter's a guy who really understood that he had something to look forward to in heaven. This is a guy who had experienced failure, um, sinfulness, and had broken promises. And he had been redeemed by Jesus. He had been forgiven by Jesus. But no doubt this was a guy whose past haunted him to a certain degree. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, he gives us this idea of the thing that he is hoping for. Let me give you the text here this morning, and I've got it up on screen for you. Peter says this, in keeping with his promise, that's the promise of God. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of righteousness. A couple of things I want to mention about this before we move on. The first is, ladies and gentlemen, you can live your life based on the promises that God has made to us in His Word. And I want to contend this morning that it it is only when you start living your life based on the promises of God made to us in His Word that your life starts to make sense. That you feel you have a sure foundation to stand on. That whatever the world throws at you, whatever your sin causes in your life, or whatever the enemy leads your way, you have a sure foundation. You're unshakable. You're prepared. You're ready for whatever the world throws at you. And the other thing I want to mention is that this new heaven and new earth is a perfection of the earth as we know it today. It's a perfection of the earth as we know it today. There are some things that I love about this earth. I like to hang with my bride. Those of you who know me know that's one of my favorite things to do. I like to go out to eat. I like to be in the woods with my kids. Uh, One of the most beautiful experiences I've had in my life was having the opportunity to marry uh, my younger brother and his fiancée on Aspen Mountain in Colorado. So we're on Aspen Mountain. The, The weather is perfect. It's in August. And just that setting made me feel like I caught a glimpse of heaven. And there were actually some storm clouds in the distance. And I thought to myself, man, this is really what heaven is going to look like. And Peter would say, and Jesus would certainly say, absolutely. When heaven and earth are made brand new, the things we love about this earth, the things that give us a glimpse of heaven or or give us a sense of heaven or give us a sense that we were made for a world other than this, will be realized. All those old, nagging things about this world that we don't like 
will be corrected. For example, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the new heaven and new earth where I get a new set of knees on a planet that kind of resembles ours. I, I, I wanted to share this with you uh, about myself. I have a reoccurring dream. This is completely true. And the dream is I'm on a snowboard, seriously, on a mountain in Colorado, but I can do all these crazy, amazing flips and tricks on this thing. <laughs> and so Kirsten and I were watching the Winter Olympics last night, and uh, this 17-year-old kid from Silverthorne, Colorado, won the gold medal in the men's downhill snowboarding competition. <laughs> and I was, I was joking around with Kirsten, like, literally, babe, in my dreams, I can do the stuff that this kid was doing. <laughs> and I think in, in some way, heaven will be like that. My nagging knee won't be nagging me anymore. Uh, some of your spouses who are nagging you, they won't be nagging you anymore in heaven. Can I get an amen? All of, the, all, all of those old things. Somebody said amen too loudly over here. All, all of those old things, church family, all of those old things will be done away with. And earth will be made brand new. It will be perfected. Uh, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, I really like how Peter ends that verse. It will be the home of righteousness. And the core of righteousness is our Lord Jesus Christ and His dwelling place is there. And our faith will literally become sight. The man who redeemed us of our sins, who loved us when we were unlovable, who pursued us in our darkest valleys, in our deepest nights, He will be there. And this is the highlight of heaven for each of us. So as we're thinking of heaven and we're considering the situation we currently live in, my mind was drawn to the fact that we got here because of someone else's sin. You'd have to go back to Genesis chapter 3 to really get the sense of how the earth experienced the curse and the tragedy that it experienced here. In Genesis chapter 3 verses 17 through 19, we get the story of Adam and the impact his curse had on the world. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. This was a place that was bountiful and plentiful and didn't require some of the um, toil and trouble and struggle that we experience here on the earth. And God gave them one simple set of instructions. God said, look, you can eat from any tree in this garden. You can do anything you want to do here. You can have peace. You can have joy. You can have comfort. The one thing I don't want you to do, I don't want you to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so Adam and Eve are going along. They're being obedient. They're loving one another. They're experiencing the blessing that, that God's given them in the garden. And then Eve takes from the tree of knowledge after she's been deceived by the serpent. And she eats and she gives it to Adam who was right there with her. And he eats of the tree of knowledge. And their eyes are open and they know the difference between good and evil and they feel shame. And I've got this up on the screen for you here this morning. The Bible says this, Genesis 3, 17. God tells Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Listen to this. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all of the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, 
For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Because of Adam's sin, the earth that you and I live on is now cursed. And it was cursed in three ways. The first curse, the most obvious curse, is a physical curse. Now the earth is going to produce thorns and thistles. We've got to get out there and we've got to put sweat equity into this ground that we work. And the Bible gives us the sense that before this, this curse, that the earth wasn't so cumbersome and tedious and labor-intensive that there was even joy in cultivating crops and working the fields. But because of Adam's sin, there's a physical curse on the earth. And now physically, there are things that are consequences of Adam's sin. But not only is the curse physical, it's also spiritual. Now sin and temptation and the devastation that sin and temptation leads to are experienced by men and women all across the globe. And the curse is also psychological. Can you imagine Adam and Eve who at one time cultivated crops and worked ground without sweat, without toil, without cumbersome labor. And now they're out there sweating and working and weeding the fields and having to tend to these crops. They went from being blessed and excited and happy and joyful to tired and fatigued and downtrodden and overworked. And psychologically this influenced them in a way that they had to feel some sorrow, some misery, some despair. All those things, church family, are part of the curse. When you and I are out there in the daily grind of our week, and we got sweat equity invested in our careers, and we feel the emotional and spiritual and physical toll of what we're doing, that is the curse of the world that we're living in. And it's difficult out there. And those of you who have lived life for any length of time understand the nature of that grind and the difficulty that it is and how tough it is to face day in and day out. And no doubt you find yourselves at some moment in time wishing for something better. And God's calling out to you in those moments and saying, I promise you something better someday. Adam's sin, no doubt, reached farther than he could have possibly imagined. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul has given us some teaching about Adam and how through Adam, each person experienced a consequence because of his sin. And one of those consequences was physical death. Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through that one man, Adam, and death through him, and so listen to this, death spread to all men because all sin. Here's the point I want to make from this. Sin spreads like a virus. Sin spreads like a cancer. And you cannot overestimate the effects your sin is going to have on the world in which you live. You cannot overestimate the consequence, the sin you commit is going to have on the world in which you live. So often I think we, we feel like our sin's not going to be that big of a deal or if I'm the only one that knows about it, the consequences are going to be minimal or if I just sin real quick and repent, God will forgive me and I won't experience any consequences of that. And the Bible is very clear. The sin you commit has greater consequences than you can possibly realize. The curse that we have on this earth is a lesson that should teach us 
that there can be no room in our lives for hidden sins or for obvious sins. And too often the people of God are toying around with grace by telling themselves things like, God can forgive the sins I commit, so this certain thing must be okay. Or this lack of effort must be okay. Or this little hidden area of my life is okay. Or nobody can see this, so it must be fine. And God's telling you this morning, that's not true. Your sin has consequences that are greater than you realize. They're going to cost you more than you ever thought you would pay. They're going to lead you down a road deeper than you ever thought to go. And they're going to keep you there longer than you ever thought you would stay. And like a cancer, like a virus, they're going to spread throughout the area and community in which you live. And they're going to cause consequences beyond those that you could possibly imagine. This is the reason why Jesus is telling us that he's not just coming to redeem mankind, but he's coming to redeem the whole world. Because every single consequence of every single one of our sins is going to be completely wiped out and eradicated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen this morning? Come on, somebody. This is what Jesus talks to us about in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 18. I've got this up on the screen for you guys this morning. So Jesus is teaching his disciples about heaven. And he says, truly, there is coming a time where not just some things are going to be renewed... Not just people who put their trust and faith in me are going to be renewed. Not just those who are really doing powerful things in my name are going to be renewed. But you need to underline this in your Bible or highlight it. All things will be renewed. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus is telling us there is coming a day where every single one of our mistakes... And every single one of our failures, and every single one of our sins, and all the consequences of all those things will be eradicated. Our God is an ultimate salvage artist. Um, There is a show on television that totally ruined my family's budget. And some of you are going to know where I'm going with this when I start talking about it. In, In May of 2013, there was a pilot episode that aired that was this huge success in April 2014 is the first season of a show called Fixer Upper. Some of you guys refer to this. Huh? Have you heard of this? There's a few hands who are, of people who are willing to admit. So the show Fixer Upper is a show that stars this awesome Christian couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Now some of you guys even are probably getting it even more. And um, what really hurt my family was when she, Joanna Gaines opened this store called Magnolia, right? So, so these, this is what these guys are excellent at doing. If you've never seen the show, they find a, a couple or an individual or or, or someone who's got a, a couple tens of thousands of dollars to spend on renovation and a couple hundred thousand dollars to purchase a home, and they show them three homes, and they give them this vision of what it could be like if these homes were restored. In a way that they were probably originally intended to look. And so they take the couple and they tour through these homes. And I mean, I have no sense of vision for this kind of stuff. But Joanna Gaines is like top shelf salvage artist. 
she can walk into a home that you and I would not touch with a 10-foot pole. And she's like, oh, yeah, we'll take this wall out here. We'll put a sink right in there. We can do this right here, granite countertops. And we're going to go to some antique store and get all the trash we possibly can. We're going to, like, sand it down and repaint it. And we're going to put it all throughout this trashy house. We've sanded down and repainted. It's going to look beautiful. I'm going, man, there is no way this thing is going to turn out. And my wife's right there, and she's like, oh, babe, no. Like, this really is going to look good. And, and every single time, man, and, and I kind of got hooked on the show a little bit. I'm sorry to admit that in a room uh, of this many people. But this, what these guys can do in terms of restoration, and even if I would go so far as to say regeneration, is unbelievable. So today, if you come to my house, we have two... Um, broken pieces of a fireplace mantelpiece on display as artistic furniture in part because of Chip and Joanna Gaines. We paid top dollar for these old fireplace mantelpieces that are on display in our house. If you come over, I'll show them to you. But for us, for Kirsten and I, it's a representation of how old, beat-up, discarded stuff can be salvaged and made beautiful again when the right person takes the right look at it. So one time I heard this story of of an old violin that was being sold at an auction that was just beat up and abused and had been mistreated and it's going for the auction and and nobody wants to purchase it. And some guy from the very, very back walks, walks forward, grabs the violin and tunes the strings and this person was a master violinist. And he starts playing this beautiful song on the violin and pretty soon the auctioneer can't get people to stop wanting to contribute money for the violin. And I could go on and on about how things that we at one moment in time would have thought are salvageable and broken and unusable and too messed up to do any good can be totally reclaimed and redeemed and regenerated. But that's what Jesus Christ is telling us he's going to do with the whole world. With every consequence of every sin we've ever made, with every negative thing that's a result of sin someone else has committed, and everything in between, Jesus is making all of those things brand new. So in Isaiah, we get some idea of what God is trying to say to us. And he's really trying to say that his grace is bigger than the consequence of any of our sin. The grace of God outreaches any consequence our sin could go, any difficulty we've experienced because of our sin, any time we've told ourselves this is farther than I can be redeemed for, Jesus is saying, I got this. My grace is greater than any sin you can commit, any consequence that you can experience. God's grace extends to the farthest reaches of our misery, our despair, or our hopelessness. And in Isaiah 65 Verse 17, we get some clarity about what that means for us as far as this new heaven and new earth are concerned. And I say in this vision of what's going to happen when Jesus returns and it's remade heaven and remade earth, he says this, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they even come to mind. One of the most difficult things I think that happens is we can't forget what our old home looks like even after we renovated it. And we walk through this beautiful new place 
haunted with ghosts from the past. Echoes from the things that we've misspoken or others have said that have hurt us. And God's calling out to us and He's telling us, Hey, everything in your life that you're holding over yourself or that someone is holding over you, I'm going to make all that brand new. You're not going to remember it and I'm not going to remember it against you. And there's no reason to carry that kind of weight and that kind of burden and that kind of struggle around with you if at some point in the future it's all going to be made new and it's all going to be forgiven anyway. In heaven, our past won't be held against us anymore. So what's new about this heaven and this earth? Three things that come to mind as I'm thinking of it. You probably thought of these kinds of things too. The first is there's not going to be any sin in this place. Some of our loved ones struggle with addiction. The sin of of being totally consumed by a substance or a behavior. And when we have a loved one that's struggling with that, the pain that we feel because of their struggle is sometimes overwhelming. There's not going to be any addiction in heaven. There's not going to be the sin of betrayed trust in heaven. You're never going to put your faith and trust in somebody and have them break their word or go against what they promise because in heaven a promise means something. There's not going to be any broken relationships in heaven. There's not going to be any depression. There's not going to be any fear. There's not going to be any sadness. All of those things we experience because of emotional difficulty on this earth, those are going to be gone and done away with in this new heaven. That's going to be part of the past that doesn't get remembered. How about all of that physical stuff that we have to deal with day in and day out on this earth? My bride is at home ill this morning. She's watching online. She's been running a fever for the last couple of days. In heaven, there's not going to be any influenza. There's not going to be any more bronchitis. There's not going to be any upper respiratory infections. But how about the really tough stuff like cancer? How about the really tough stuff like leukemia? Like birth defects or other abnormalities or other challenges we face. What about bad bacterial infections, E. coli? Some of our families have almost lost loved ones because of this kind of stuff. All of that's going to be gone and done away with. There's not going to be any more injustice in heaven. There's not going to be any segregation. There's not going to be any disunity. There's not going to be people who think they're better than somebody else or people who feel like they're left out. There's not going to be anyone mistreated. There's not going to be a popularity contest. People aren't going to be judged by what they wear, by who they are, or by what they've done. All things are going to be equal in heaven. There's not going to be any injustice. All of these things are going to be done away with, and that church is what we put our hope in. In Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 8, we get one of the most beautiful pictures of what this is really going to look like. Isaiah, who's got all of these prophetic visions, he's a prophet of the Lord. God's been speaking to him. And in in, in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, all those burdens we carry and have been carrying and the pain and the pressure and the difficulty that we've faced in life, God is going to personally come to us and minister to that pain and that hurt. And every single tear that we've cried, He's going to wipe away from our cheeks personally. 
Isaiah says, all death will be swallowed up forever. And the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. So I was thinking about this sermon. And I, and I started to think to myself, really, if Christians will look at this the right way, we can get the best of both worlds. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the note I want you to write down, highlight and underline is the phrase, the best of both worlds. Because there are going to be times where the curse of this earth overwhelms you. And in those moments, I want you to remember Isaiah 25, 8, that there is coming a moment in time when Jesus Christ himself will take both of your will, will take your head in both of his hands and he'll wipe away every tear you've cried because of physical pain or illness or sickness or emotional pain because of a personal struggle you're going through or a struggle a loved one is going through or something that someone has done to you that's caused you to feel a measure of emotional pain. I want you to remember in those moments that there is coming a time when Jesus Christ himself is going to attend to your pain and he is going to with every wipe of his fingers and every tear that he wipes away He's going to wipe away that pain from your memory. And so it is in heaven, it's in that moment that you and I find our hope. How do we keep going when things are difficult? How do we keep going when it's too tough to go on? When the night gets long? When our day gets dark? When we're really overwhelmed and feeling defeated? How do we keep, how do we keep going? It's by envisioning a time when Jesus himself wipes our pain away. And coddles us in love and grace and in His righteousness. That's how you keep going. And then there are going to be other times. Like I found when I was standing on top of Aspen Mountain marrying my brother and my my sister-in-law. And man, it was this beautiful setting. The weather was perfect. The scenery couldn't have gotten any better. And I got a glimpse of heaven. And it was an incredible moment. And I worshiped God and rejoiced. Because I got a sense of what heaven was going to be like. And if you're living the way God wants you to live, in view of heaven, you can have the best of both worlds. You can find solace when this world beats you up and discourages you. And knowing that it's going to be redeemed and the curse is going to be destroyed. And you can rejoice when you experience beauty and majesty and awe in this world that reminds you of heaven. And you can be encouraged in that moment. And in a room this size, there are plenty of people who need more of both. You need to get out and practice hearing from God and sensing God and the beautiful creation that He's made to reach out to us and call to us from within. And some of you are feeling beat up and discouraged and overwhelmed because life's thrown something at you or your sins caused something in you or the enemy has done something to you that make you feel overwhelmed or defeated. And God's saying, hey, there's coming a day when redemption really will happen. And the wreck that your life feels like right now won't even be a memory. It'll be completely erased. And if you'll live with hope for that day, then you won't be so discouraged that you can't keep moving forward. And that's what Jesus' intent is with heaven. It took God... Seven days to create the earth. He did it in six. He rested on the seventh. And he's been working on heaven for thousands of years. 
It's going to be more beautiful than you and I can imagine with righteousness and peace dwelling there. I want that to encourage you. And if you need more encouragement this morning, as I'm closing, I'm going to pray. And I invite you to come forward today. Whether it's sin that's got you overwhelmed or, or other things in this earth that have happened that have caused you to be discouraged. Bring those burdens forward and be encouraged by our church in view of heaven. And maybe you just need to rejoice today. Because you haven't been appreciative enough for the beauty that God's put in your life. And you need to come forward and just praise God. We want to do that with you this morning. After I pray and then we're going to sing a song, I want you to take that opportunity today. Bow with me. Lord, I come before you just so thankful and grateful for the opportunity you've given us to have the best of both worlds. When we feel discouraged in this world, we can look to heaven to find encouragement. And when we see majesty and beauty and are awestruck by each, we can rejoice and feel peace and hope knowing that's just a glimpse of the beauty you're creating for us in heaven. God, I ask any person who is overwhelmed by sin or struggle would come forward and be encouraged today. And any who need to just stop and acknowledge you for the beauty you've placed in their lives, I pray that they'd come forward as well. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.